Welcome to FoxCast Physical Therapy, a podcast for clinicians made by clinicians. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Find out more at foxrehab.org. Starting off the show today, excited to bring this person on, a practicing emergency medicine physician and now an NIH-funded researcher on fall prevention, passionate about improving the care of older adults who seek acute care. We're going to get into summer for research, but let's get her on the show. Dr. Elizabeth Goldberg, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Cool intro is now, you, I mean, I would introduce myself like this all the time if I were someone as cool as you. Hi, I'm Jimmy, a NIH-funded researcher. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Turns out there's actually a lot of emergency doctors that are getting funded now, and that's something pretty new to our field since emergency medicine is pretty new. So I'm really lucky to be one of them. All right, let's get your superhero backstory. Let's let's paint a picture for uh, for the audience. What's your background uh, professionally? Let's let's start there. Yeah, so I did my Brown um, emergency medicine training here in Rhode Island. We are a four-year emergency medicine residency program. I've been here for ten years now. After my residency training, I had the really great fortune to get involved with a postdoctoral training program in research and aging. And I was the only emergency medicine doctor there. I was actually the only MD. The rest of the program was PhDs. And so I got to learn from some people that are really in the know about research methods, stats, and in general, I just fell in love with taking care of geriatric patients and learning more about how we could advance the field of geriatrics. And falls is just a particular passion because we see patients every day with falls and our approach right now in the ED is really injury targeted. So we're looking for common injury patterns after a fall and we're not really looking that much into reasons why people fell. So I really saw a need there and I'm trying to fill that need with my research. Great summation right there. And as we record is different from the day we release. That's the magic of podcast, but we're recording this on National Falls Prevention Day, September 23rd. Look at that. Amazing. So we got uh, kind of your, your background and a little bit into why you're passionate about working with older adults. Let's talk about your, your gap care, which is, make sure I get this right, the geriatric acute and post-acute fall prevention intervention. Did I nail it? You nailed it. Get into what this study really brings together in terms of multiple healthcare professionals. Absolutely. So this is a team approach to fall prevention in the emergency department. And what we have right now in the ED is a team approach to everything. We work really closely with our nurses. We have nurse practitioners, physicians assistants there. A lot of EDs are now also recruiting physical therapists, occupational therapists to work in the ED. But there hasn't up until now been a clear model for how to take care of patients and how to prevent future falls in the emergency department. Now that we're seeing more and more older adults that come in for falls, we now have this geriatric emergency medicine accreditation through our professional organization. People are starting to think a little bit more about what can we do to create a really quick, brief intervention while the patient is in the emergency department before they leave that could potentially prevent falls. And so this gap care program was a compilation of ideas um, that was generated by a team of people. So I have a geriatric physical therapist that helps come up with ideas. We have some PhDs that do primarily research methods and health services research that helped with this idea. And then we also just involved our inpatient physical therapists and pharmacists at our hospital to help us come up with a program that would help prevent falls. And gap care is a pilot, so we enrolled 110 patients. We randomized them, so we said half of those patients will get usual care. They'll be seen by an ED doctor, potentially also 
residents or nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, and they'll get the, our regular fall treatment, which, like I said, is generally patients are seen. They get it from head to toe evaluation for injuries. They get CAT scans orders, x-rays ordered, EKGs and lab testing. And if we find something, we also consult other services like orthopedics. But for the most part, we look for injuries and we either send those patients home or we admit them to the hospital. What gap care brings is instead of just evaluating for injuries, we're looking for reasons for the fall and Mm -hmm. we're actually intervening while that patient is still in the ED. And those reasons might be different. They might be alcohol related, for instance. They might be because that patient actually has a gait disorder that hasn't been diagnosed. They might be because that patient's been in and out of healthcare settings and has increasing frailty and are just really deconditioned. That's why we're bringing in the physical therapist and we're also bringing in pharmacists to look at medications because we know that we can't find all those reasons on our own. We actually need to bring in specialists who do that for a living um, to help us. It's a really busy setting. We can't expect the ED staff to do all of this. And so gap care brings together physical therapists and pharmacists to help us do that while that patient is in the ED and we have when we've captured their attention and their caregiver's attention. Now, how hard was this to, to get this? So this is Gap Care 1. This was the, the pilot study that you had, had done. How hard was this to get other people in the emergency department on board? I've never launched a study. I've never worked in an emergency department. But how, how hard is it to, to kind of bring this format and this framework to a meeting and then convince people it's a good idea to actually try out in real people? That was the challenge. So in general, I think most doctors in the emergency department recognize that we could do better. We know that we're, we're busy. We know that these older adults are complex. When we trained in emergency medicine, we learned to take care of acute issues. So 30-year-old patient comes in with um, typical complaints of a urinary tract infection. They get an antibiotic. They go home. But now what emergency care has become is taking care of these increasingly complex, increasingly older patients that have chronic issues, and there's not always one quick fix. We recognize that we need help, and in general, I found that ED doctors and other staff are really welcome to having that help. Um, What took figuring out was how to get physical therapists and how to get pharmacists in the ED, because we don't currently have a program where we have PTs and pharmacists Mm -hmm. in the ED. And so that required reaching out to the directors of rehabilitation services and the director of pharmacy services developing a team. What we did, in effect, we actually borrowed from the inpatient side and said, why don't you come down to ED just for these consults? They're brief. They're 30 minutes long. We'll probably only do two or three a week. We'll try this as our initial model. And then if the idea proves to be effective, then maybe we can hire a full-time person. How did that go? Now, when you got closer to the the really, really granular departments, when you went to the rehab department, was it easier to convince there? What Were, were there any issues in, in getting like, you know, maybe some resources? Because you're asking to borrow people and bodies. Or was it a perception issue? Like, why would we want to do that? Were there any challenges there? There were some challenges. So I think in general, physical therapists are really excited about working in the emergency department. I think they recognize that there's a need there and we're a really collaborative group, but they are spread thin mm-hmm. and we have a really big hospital and they're always running from like <laughs> one side of the hospital to the other. So actually the biggest reluctance was, okay, this is a research study. How are we going to be involved with this? Often these research studies sort of happen to us and no one shares those results with us. And if we're going to be engaged and we're going to be part of this, we want to actually hear about the results. We want to have input into the study design. 
I'm really indebted to the group that they agreed to do this. And what we did is we set up these quarterly meetings where we actually shared our initial results, like really preliminary results on our first couple of patients. And then all the PTs that were involved gave us ideas of like how to make the program better. It was really iterative. I think that made people feel like they're involved, their expertise is being heard, and this is really a group effort. Well, I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, you know your audience. You're talking to me. I'm a PT, and the people that listen to the show are PTs, but we're pretty excited that someone like you is looking at our profession and the skill sets as well as, you know, pharmacists and other people that you brought into this, and pretty excited that we're at least, you know, we're, we're getting invited to the to the game. Same here. I, If I could, I would hire a whole slew of physical therapists to work in our ED. We just have so much demand for your services. And now that we're moving towards this pain-free, opiate-free ED type model, your services are even more in demand. Preaching the choir there again. I like it. That was Gap Care 1. That was, you said about 110 with the pilot study uh, people involved? That's right. Mm-hmm. And we're just looking at the results of that study right now. Okay. Any Anything preliminary you, you can share, kind of high-level stuff? Yeah. So what we found so far is that the model is feasible in the emergency department. Our physical therapists were able to see patients within a 20-minute time span. So they did a couple of assessments to evaluate for future fall risk and to see if the patient had gait or balance or strength issues. And they were able to do that in a 20-minute time period. So they came to the bedside, they saw the patient, they did those assessments, and they wrote a note. And it was really brief. And that was one of my main concerns. Like, can we actually fit a PT and a pharmacy consult into the regular ED workflow? And we found that we could. They actually did not prolong the amount of time that a patient was in the emergency department. So that's the first step. And we found that patients and caregivers and ED clinicians really embraced the model. Almost 90% recommended that future patients get the same model. So it was really highly accepted. Yeah. So those are the first steps. And then we're hoping to recruit many more people to see if we can actually prevent falls. Is it feasible? Can you get it done? It's one thing to propose it in a meeting or write it down, but can you actually get this done in a busy ED with those time constraints, both physical therapy and uh, pharmacist as well? And you could. And then this is really great for patient, caregiver, family buy-in, 90% saying that they they thought it was a good experience. That's, that's pretty big. Initial findings anyway. We're, that sounds pretty exciting to me. Yeah, I was really excited. It was important to us that we hear the patient's voice because this was a really intense protocol. Mm-hmm. Not only did patients come in like right after the fall, right after their injury and get, you know, see ED nurses and ED physicians, but they also had to see a physical therapist and a pharmacist as part of this. And that can be overwhelming. Sure. Even if you're younger and you don't have hearing problems or visual problems. And so I was really excited to see that people thought it was worth their time. All right. So that was your pilot study. So now what's being funded? Is this Gap Care 2? Yeah. So actually the pilot study was also NIH funded. Okay. Um, Gap Care 1 was NIH funded. And then we just received notice that we're going to get another five years of funding to do bigger trials. Yeah. It's really Great. exciting. And we're also going to get better outcome assessment. So one of the problems that we had and one of the problems that a lot of fall studies have is that we're not really great at tracking falls once patients go home. Okay. It's really important to see if this intervention works to know whether people are falling. Right. But you're relying on people that have sometimes memory impairment and you know frequent sniff stays and um, assisted living stays to write down in a fall calendar every day if they're having a fall. And we just didn't find that method to be really um accurate for our first uh, pilot studies. What we're going to do for GAPCARE 2 is actually give patients an Apple Watch to wear 
at home during our follow-up period. And we're going to be testing the usability of that Apple Watch for these older adults. And we're actually going to be doing some cognitive and functional testing with the watches. So I'm really excited about this new addition. Yeah, bringing together technology. It always, it always, uh, it always amazes me when the technology comes out, then all of a sudden really smart people start figuring out, well, if we've got this, what else can we do with it? And I think the Apple Watch is a really, really great example of you know the fall detection modes. And we did an episode on that not long ago when that first came out. Some preliminary look into uh, you know ECGs and, and how accurate that data is or could be in the future. But I think the fall prevention and, and that sort of data is going to be great, especially with the limitations that you just listed in terms of the follow-up and, and how to reliably get that information. Right. And we, we just don't really know how useful those devices are for most older people. We think that they will be really useful, especially if they can be used passively. If you can just put the watch on, right. on you know, your, your mother's wrist and they don't really need to do anything right. uh, with the watch. The watch just automatically goes off if there's a fall, then that could be really useful. So we're, we're testing all that and really excited for what we find. All right. So this is going to go on for the next five years. You kind of went over briefly like what really the study design is and what it'll look like. What are you predicting in terms of results, anticipated findings out of this? What do you, what do you hope to see? What do you think you'll see? As you probably know, we see more falls in people that are 85 and older. So the incidence goes up as you're older. Mm-hmm. And that might also be the age group that's less likely to adapt these kind of technologies. But I think with a training session, we're going to offer them a brief training session in the emergency department and actually go through common steps that they need to take to apply the watch and to program the watch. And I think with a small training session, especially if it also involves a caregiver, I think most older people are going to be able to use this technology. And I think it will offer just an additional level of security that caregivers will love and I think the patients themselves will love. So I'm actually really optimistic about the results we're going to see, but the data could prove me wrong. Yeah, I think a lot of times we um, we really underestimate. And if, if my, uh, my grandmother is a representation of people her age, trust me, she can handle the technology. I mean, she she, you know, uses an iPad so well. She uh, is not intimidated by technology at all. When she has a, even a little bit of a question, she has no problem seeking out someone else to help her and is really good once she gets that answer. So I think you're, you're dead on. Yeah, they might, some might be a little reluctant, but you give them a little bit of information and they, they pick it up pretty, pretty fast. Yeah, and there's so many tools that could actually make the Apple Watch a really great tool for older people. For instance, there's like voice activation. So if you can't see really well or if you don't have that fine motor skill to actually type things, you might be able to just use the voice quality to um, activate, you know, finding your way home, asking yeah. for directions, that sort of thing. I think the fall alert feature and the just emergency SOS feature could be a great tool. The question is, are people going to use it? And sure. We're going to break down one of the barriers, which is definitely cost, by giving those devices to our patients for free in the study. Wow. And that will just let us test if it works if you actually do the small training session. We're also going to try to improve the training and kind of get advice from patients and caregivers as we go along about like what they need to hear in a training session. We hope to make that available to broader public when we're done with the study. Yeah, improving education. Uh, I'd be a bad podcast host if I didn't bring up uh, the hard fall and SOS detection that you just mentioned. I'm in a Facebook group for cyclists, and this post 
just hit social media like a day or two ago. You might have even seen it. A guy was talking about how he was supposed to meet up with his dad to do some mountain biking. On his way to that location, he winds up getting a message, emergency SOS. His dad's name uh, has called emergency services from his approximate location after detecting a hard fall. The end of the story was the dad winds up falling, knocking himself unconscious. The Apple Watch calls EMS. They use GPS technology to find his location. By the time the son is actually getting to the park, the dad's already in the ambulance. The mountain bike's already taken care of by the fireman. Dad's in the hospital, and and all is well. I mean, how great of a, of a story, just as your study is, is going to get underway, is that? I actually got that story sent to me by multiple colleagues saying, how cool is it that they have integration with Silent One? This might be a great tool. So I think those kind of narratives are so important to get people to adapt these technologies and not, not feel intimidated. Because I think a lot of people that are older you know, think that Apple Watches and this kind of tech might not be for them and it's too complicated. But yeah, what a great narrative. In the discussion following this in a couple of Facebook groups that I was in, they were instructing each other. They say, you have to enable this one feature and, and make sure you set it up. Otherwise, how would the how would the Apple Watch known who to send the message to about the fall? So you do need to enable a few things, but mm-hmm. that really just goes right back to what you were saying in terms of, hey, if we properly educate and do it well, adoption will be a lot easier. Exactly. Yeah. I think you have to put in emergency contact right. when you first enable that feature. And then if you're under 65, you need to physically actually turn the feature on. And I think that was an approach that Apple took to reduce the amount of false positives because I've also heard that if right. you clap really vigorously or you're doing a lot of tumbling or like the kind of activity you would do as a 20 or 30 year old, you could get that hard fall detection to turn on and not everyone wants that to be turned on. Right. That could give you a false positive. That could might, you know, start the emergency alert system, um, you know, when you, when you don't need it. If we know anything about Apple, it's wherever they start they're when they release a product, they're not done fixing it and improving it and updating it. So love the fact that they put the time and effort into putting this in there. And I, I have no doubt that They'll continue to refine it. At least I hope they will. Agreed. What am I not asking about uh, Gap 2? What else What else would you want the audience to know about it? What I really want to get out of it is that I want ED directors and other emergency medicine doctors to recognize that we can do more for falls. I think that we are seeing more and more fall-related visits in the emergency department. We're also seeing more fall mortality. Mm. And this is really in our wheelhouse. And I want other emergency medicine doctors and staff to know that we can do more than the typical ATLS trauma assessment. We can actually start counseling patients, asking them about risk factors for falls, and at least referring them to the right kind of services. And often that is physical therapy because you just have unique skills and how to get strength to improve and gait to improve and balance to improve and a resource that's there. It's easy for us to refer to. And I don't think we're using enough. Uh, here with Dr. Elizabeth Goldberg on the show talking about uh, uh, Gap Care 2, which is uh, some of her research that's going to be set to kick off from the National Institutes of Health. You mentioned about the skills of a physical therapist, the things we're able to test. Talk a little bit more about those. What have you seen? Since you don't have a background in physical therapy, I think you're probably even better poised to recognize. I think sometimes if you're really, really deep into something, sometimes you miss um, some things because you talk about it so much. It kind of hides in plain sight. What are the things that excite you about PT? and working with them? I, what I've heard from patients and what I've observed myself is that patients and other doctors often don't do the best job of recognizing their limitations. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that I observed is the 
patient will sit there and they'll just have had this injury and they'll say, you know, I'm fine to go back to my third story apartment where I live alone and I'll have no challenges with that. And I absolutely do not want to go into rehab. I don't really need any help at home. And then a physical therapist will be like, okay, that's fine. Let's do the five times sit to stand test. And <laughs> the patient will get up out of the stretcher and they won't even be able to, to stand up once. And it's that moment where you're actually having them demonstrate in person and, and like giving them a chance to prove you wrong that I think is a, is like that moment of enlightenment for, for many patients and also for many clinicians of like, oh, I do have this like new limitation. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to get help. Like mm-hmm. what happens if I'm on my own in, in this third story apartment? So I think it's that, that ability to demonstrate and then provide coaching about resources that are available and look if you had more strength and maybe you could get around outside of the home like right now you're you're stuck in your own you know home environment wouldn't it be great if you can go back to doing errands like you were before or at least not lose the strength that you currently have so I think those are really great skills and I think one of the key pieces in gap care and one of the things that I think is going to be the most effective is that physical therapists are really really great at this discharge planning we spend very little time with our patients explaining what they can expect, what their recovery will be like, and what kind of help they're going to need outside of the hospital. One of the, the greatest things about having a physical therapist come down into the ED is to give patients that knowledge of you know, how, that they're going to, um, how their recovery is going to be like, what their limitations are going to be like if they have a new humerus fracture, what kind of devices they can use to help them. So there's a lot of overlap, obviously, with occupational therapy as well. Uh-huh. Doing that more excellent discharge planning and also saying when it's important, like, you cannot go home like this. I'm seeing how you're moving, and I'm concerned about how you're going to be on your own over the next couple of days. Can we help you with some home physical therapy? Can we get you to one of the evidence-based community programs that we have? And just really triaging the resources that you have, those skills, I think, are so helpful, and I really appreciate them. All right. Well, now you're singing our praises, and we feel all good. Um, what's something that we can do What's something we, we can do better? Any, anything you guys have, have learned in your work, specifically with gap care or, or anything in your career, that uh, maybe PTs could do, to, could do better or improve upon? Any, anywhere we can sharpen our axe? I think the one piece of advice I have is we're really looking for independent kind of team leader in a physical therapist that works in the emergency department. I think a lot of the PTs that work there are really independent. They need to come up with creative solutions for how to help people. They also need to have a pretty huge scope of practice because you take care of back pain, neck pain, vertigo. Right. So you do vestibular type things. You do you take care of geriatric patients. And it's been hard for us, at least here at Rhode Island, to find the right PT to do that kind of work because I think in an inpatient setting, you're your scope of practice and, and the type of procedures that you do are, are really different from what we need in the emergency department setting. And we're really looking for, in the, in the ED at least, we're looking for someone that is going to also do teaching. There's a lot that we have to learn as physicians, as you know, nurse practitioners and TAs about um, physical therapy and rehabilitation. I think it's just a unique skill that PTs have, being empowered to actually provide that type of advice and instruction to the healthcare team, not just the patient and the caregivers. 
I think is really, really important. Well, I mean, with work like yours, you're, you're, you're empowering physical therapists, uh, you know, who are involved in it. And then hopefully when this is, when this comes out and we see some, some, some results, if, if they're as great as we think they are, you're going to empower some more people because it really, it really is. I mean, I don't know, maybe social permission for mm-hmm. people to hear it and know, Hey, if, if, if people are, if people are looking to me to do this, that I've been given social permission to, to do this and, and step in these areas. So I think your work is, is really f- helping to facilitate that. Thanks for saying that. I'll take it. I think if you are interested at all in working in the emergency department, reaching out to the ED directors, reaching out to the local hospitals and expressing that interest is, is important. We have this new geriatric emergency medicine accreditation. And so Many hospitals around the country are applying to be accredited in falls prevention, and having a physical therapist work with patients in the ED is actually one element of that accreditation. So I think the roles for PTs is just going to grow in the ED, and we're always looking to hire people that are um, that work well in that setting, that are independent, that want to work together with a team. PTs should really really look for those kind of opportunities. Yeah. If you're looking to go to Rhode Island, uh, Dr. Goldberg here, she'll take you. That's right. <laughs> Last thing uh, about Gap Care, what's the timeline on Gap Care 2? You know, when are you looking to uh, to, to launch this? When do, do things get underway? So the funding started in September of 2019, okay. and we're spending the next three months just really building our instruments and setting up um, the, the new app that we're going to use to track balls. All of that will take about three months. So I think starting... December, January, we're going to be starting to approach patients in the ED, providing them with Apple Watches, providing them with the Apple Watch training, and um, we'll probably wrap up that first part of the study where we're interviewing 30 patients on their Apple Watch and our new app use after about 18 months. Man, that's going to be a rough sell, right? Who wants to uh, who wants a new fancy dance Apple Watch? <laughs> right. I already have people lining up. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Thank you for, for doing research like this. We, we appreciate it. You know, caring for, for older adults and humans. And I think this is a, it's a huge gap. Huh? See what I did there? Radio segue. Uh, nice. Huge gap like in, uh, in care and uh, really looking, looking beyond that and saying why or, and how can we prevent those falls from taking place uh, in the first place. Uh, you can reach out to uh, Dr. Goldberg. She is on Twitter at EM update. Last thing I want to do is uh, we call it your foxtail. So what's the story that actually brought you to choosing to work with older adults in your career? What, what about older adults really, really inspired you enough that you want to dedicate your career to helping them? So we take care of older people in the emergency department all the time. And I've just always felt like I have such a connection because not only are they often alone and don't have family members around them and really need someone to advocate for them, but they also have multiple chronic conditions and intellectually I find it um, really interesting to try to figure out what's going wrong and then also to develop develop that rapport with them and help them out of whatever acute condition they're coming into the ED for. That's great. And uh, we know just based on numbers, it's been said before on this show, is uh, those numbers are, are going to increase. So we need more people who think that way, uh, like yourself and the audience, to take care of those great people. Agreed. Appreciate you taking some time out and talk to us uh, about this. Very excited to see where this goes. And again, the audience can uh, can follow you at EM Update on Twitter. Uh, Dr. Goldberg, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to FoxCast PT. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Fox clinicians work hard, love their work, and get the respect they deserve. Sound good? Then you'll love the autonomy to work in your own style and the support you get to achieve excellence. Plus, freedom and flexibility 
to have a personal life. Whether it's your first day or you've been around for a while, your contribution is acknowledged and rewarded. That's what makes Fox a success. Happy, well-trained clinicians make great healthcare. Are you a fit for Fox? Find out now at foxrehab.org.